1: This is my commitment. I'm gonna go and engage in actions in the direction of what I care about, my values, even in the presence of the obstacles.
0: That was Dr. DJ Moran, and you're listening to Psychologists Off The Clock. Curious what psychologists chat about over coffee?
2: We are three clinical psychologists who love to discuss
0: the best ideas from psychology. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara,
2: California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbren, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. In this podcast, we explore the psychological principles that we use in our clinical work. And we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health.
0: Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. you want to get inspired about making some changes in your life, this episode is going to be great for you. I interviewed Dr. DJ Moran all about committed action.
2: Yeah, and committed action is something that comes into play whenever there's a change you want to make in your life. And often people will come into therapy to work with one of us, or someone like us, because either they're in a behavior pattern that's really not working for them in some way, it's causing a problem, or it's not consistent with who they want to be, or they really want to work towards something that's important to them. But as we all know, behavior change is hard. And I think this concept of committed action can be really helpful in working toward making the changes people want to make in their life.
0: Dr. DJ Moran gives us some tips around what are the obstacles in committed action. And then he also does a little bit of coaching with me at the end um, of some of the things that one thing I want to work on in the new year, which you could stay tuned for. But I'm curious, Debbie, I was so excited when you told me this morning about some committed action that's happening in your household.
2: That's right. We have, um, my husband is actually working on getting into a really good habit of running because he's training for a race in a few months. And so what we're finding, first of all, it's really tied to his value of his health and wanting to, you know, get more exercise and be healthier in his body. And what we're finding is that it's taking a lot of these strategies because there are a lot of days when he's busy and he's tired and he just does not feel like going for a run and he still has to you know, get out the door and get started, and so. And it's really
0: cold, and, isn't it? Hasn't it been really cold, cold in Denver?
2: Yeah, it's January in Denver right now, and he's yeah. been running a lot of times in the evenings. It's cold, wow. and so it's very hard to get up and out the door. And so it's really pretty cool to watch behavior change happening live in my household.
0: And do you notice a change in his mood and like how he feels about himself having started this?
2: Definitely more energy. Yeah. I'm noticing like just more motivation around other changes, like eating habits and that kind of thing. It's yeah. cool to see it happen and it's hard i give him kudos for what he's doing because it's not an easy thing to do
0: well we're all cheering him on so running out there in the freezing cold in denver is pretty inspiring so that's what I'm
2: diana do you have some examples of committed action
0: uh well i was thinking
2: about just
0: you know recently wanting to work on appreciating my husband partner more and actually verbally expressing that appreciation we were sort of texting back and forth because he was helping us out with some technical difficulties which I just want to give him some credit. He does a lot of the technical stuff behind the show, and uh, was working, you know, on a holiday <laughs> for our technical stuff. And I, so one of my committed actions is just to verbally express thank yous and be really specific in my thank yous and do it more often. And I think that it's also, you know, the the act of texting you to tell you that I was going to do that motivated me to do it. So. Yeah. I really think that this, this episode will help us look at what are the barriers to taking committed action if you think about something you want to change in your own life, especially right now in the new year. And a reminder that if you want to launch yourself into some committed action in the new year, come to my workshop on psychological flexibility in Santa Barbara. It's coming up in February, uh, the 17th, a Sunday at Yoga Soup. Go to yogasoup.com to learn more about it and to register. I really hope to see
2: some of you there. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy the episode and that whatever it is that you're working on, that you find some of these strategies helpful.
0: Dr. DJ Moran is founder and executive director of the Mid-American Psychological Institute and founder of PixLive Consulting. He co-authored Act in Practice and Committed Action in Practice, two books using acceptance and commitment therapy to help people reduce suffering and improve quality of living. Dr. DJ has appeared on the Learning Channel, Animal Planet, and the Oprah Winfrey Network discussing behavioral health concerns. He also received the Outstanding Mentor Award from the Association of Behavior Analysis International. Dr. DJ is a recognized ACT trainer, board certified behavior analyst, and the past president of, for, of the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science, the worldwide acceptance and commitment therapy organization. Welcome, Dr. DJ Moran.
1: Thanks so much. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thanks so much, Diane. And yeah. You just, call, just call me DJ. That's fine.
0: Great. Well, DJ, this is the time of year when many of us are working on making behavioral changes, so we thought the concept of committed action and your specialty in this area would be perfect for a discussion. And let's start with just talking about what is committed action and uh, maybe what what it is not.
1: Right. Gotcha. So one of the things that uh, some friends and I did in our book, Committed Action in Practice, uh, is we defined what a commitment means. And a commitment is action. Aimed in the direction of what you care about even in the presence of obstacles so there's three components in there the commitment is action you you can't just say you're committed to something you have to do something about it to show that you're committed you might have another definition of it that's fine but the way we're talking about it how we define commitment is there needs to be action and that action is in the direction of what you care about your values what's vital and meaningful to you in your life, that kind of stuff helps you stay motivated with your dedication to this action. And you do it even in the presence of obstacles. If you care about doing something and you're moving in that direction, but then all of a sudden, boom, there's some kind of problem. Emotions get lit up or distractions happen or some kind of, you know, self-denigrating talk that shows up that impedes you from moving forward and you stop. That's where the commitment stops. We're saying that commitment happens even in the presence of obstacles. So what we try to do as applied behavioral scientists is help people deal with those obstacles. So I think commitment requires action and values and an ability to deal with your own obstacles.
0: And why did you become interested in in this topic? Like, why did you get together to write this book?
1: The number one reason why I was interested in writing this is because I came into an area called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy uh, in 1994. So at this point, wow, that's, that's over two decades ago. And Acceptance and Commitment Therapy uh, is all about building up psychological flexibility in people, helping them have a life well lived, follow through on the things that are important to them. And I discovered acceptance and commitment therapy at a conference that was all about behavior analysis. What behavior analysis teaches us is that behavior change is important. If you really want to have an effect on reducing suffering and improving quality of living for people, if you really want to have people live a full, abundant life, you need to see that their behavior changes in directions that are important to them.
0: Yes, it's the... It's the component that I think therapists want to see change and maybe clients even come into therapy for, but it's also the one that maybe is hardest (laughs) to keep going. You know, I think the motivation for change at the beginning of therapy is high and that can wane over time or you come across barriers or you come across contexts that really interfere with committed action. So what are some of the obstacles that you write about to to actually making the changes that we want to make in our life?
1: Yeah. So I think that uh, there's two ways to look at obstacles to someone's uh, behavioral change. They're either going to be external obstacles or internal obstacles. Sometimes you can't change your behavior because you don't have the money or you're in a rotten relationship or you've got uh, kids who really need you to uh, spend a lot of time with them because they're dealing with some kind of Um, educational concerns, or you've got a job that you have to keep, uh, but it's driving you nuts, but you really need the money and you don't have an education or an opportunity to go out and get anything else new. These kinds of things that I'm talking in generalities, external world things, that's going to require counseling and um, some real consideration about practical solutions. And I'm not going to spend too much time doing that but i just want to say that well one of the obstacles to uh being able to uh engage in committed actions is the external stuff the 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 world is tough sometimes and it's hard to change your behavior because there are external obstacles but the internal obstacles that we want to talk about in a succinct manner is sometimes we aren't able to change our behaviors or our committed actions because of a lack of focus we might get easily distracted uh, by sidetracking thoughts. We also might have stressful emotions. So those are three things that I think act as obstacles: lack of focus, sidetracking thoughts, and stressful emotions. So, lack of focus. That's that's kind of how we sometimes get caught up into thoughts about other things other than our own behavioral change and other things other than what's going on in our present moment. I don't know how many people are familiar with this, but there's some data out there that suggests 47% of the day people are thinking about other things other than what's going on in their life. 47% 47% of the day. Give me three points. That's almost half the day. Your yeah. thoughts are about things like there and then instead of here and now. Yeah. That can be an obstacle. If you really care about doing something, let's say you're one of these folks and, and this is why you invited me onto the, the, the talk today because it's a, uh, it's the first week of January. We're talking about committed actions and maybe new year's resolutions. People get distracted from their new year's resolutions. They're, they they going to have a lack of focus. I do too. This is part of the human condition. I'm not trying to be critical, but we give up on average, our new year's resolution by January 12th on average hmm. within the first two weeks. And wow. it, because we have a lack of focus. We, we don't really pay attention to what's going on right here and right now. We just find ourselves on autopilot. We do what we used to do. That's what was previously rewarding or reinforcing. Hey, this is a habit. It's worked for me in the past. This is you know what, what, what I do. And you don't focus on your present moment very often. This is why in acceptance commitment therapy, we often encourage people to take up a mindfulness practice.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. The other two things that I mentioned is sidetracking thoughts. Sometimes just the way the mind works, so to speak, is you just have a habit of thinking things a certain way. And when certain situations happen in your world, you just go back to the old reliable way of thinking about it. But in order to have behavioral change, maybe you can't let those old thoughts have that kind of significant impact on you. You can't help, but some of the things that you think, but when you think them, it doesn't mean you have to give into them. Like, I don't know, maybe someone's trying to give up smoking right now and uh, you know, they're getting a craving and they're saying to themselves, you know, I would just feel better. And uh, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to take the break uh, during my coffee break with my friends, because I want to catch up on, you know, what they did over their Christmas vacation or their holiday, you know, break, and they had that thought to ch- kind of justify breaking their New Year's resolution. Um, the other thing that sometimes influences people are stressful emotions, you know, it's just the emotion of anxiety or the internal feelings of stress when you're used to smoking, and then. You don't want to deal with the withdrawals and you don't want to deal with grinding your teeth and the shaking and the, you know, upset stomach that you might be having. And you just say, you know, how I can deal with this stressful emotion that I'm feeling is I can just smoke again, but then I won't again tomorrow. I'm just going to, I'm just going to chip today. I'm just going to cheat on my New Year's resolution today, but I'll give it up the day after that. And so those are three important things, lack of focus, sidetracking thoughts and stressful emotions. Those sometimes haven't, Influence on us breaking our commitments.
0: So you mentioned that you use mindfulness to address our lack of focus, and Yuval Harari has talked about attention being our scarcest resource in the you know current modern day. Like that's that's the thing that's being pulled in so many different directions, especially with technology and just so much information coming at us that we can our attention that our ability to pay attention is um, decreased. Right. And so mindfulness is, is retraining our brain to pay attention and in, in a particular way, training our brain around committed action to pay attention to this moment in time or maybe the, the value that you're wanting to pursue with your behavior change. And then you talk about um, the thoughts that get in the way. How do you address the, the other two components, thoughts and emotions, when you're working with committed action?
1: Well, I do think that a mindful practice can help out with all three. Mm -hmm. learning how to deal with sidetracking thoughts and stressful emotions. I think if one is diligent with their meditation or their mindful practice, um, that can help out all three of those obstacles. Um, Giving someone a new relationship with their sidetracking thoughts, just because you have the thought, oh, I'm just going to go out on my coffee break with my friends and catch up with them on what they did on their holiday vacation. Notice that as if it were a leaf on the stream. When you're sitting and you're doing a mindfulness exercise, sometimes we teach people, just notice your thoughts as if they were leaves on a stream floating on by. Don't necessarily get hooked by them. Don't necessarily get influenced by them. Just notice thoughts. They don't have to have an influence on you. And you practice that while you're sitting in your meditation Exercise, but then what I'm always saying to my clients, and I do executive coaching, and I work with people who deal with anxiety and depression. I say to them, don't just expect to do some meditation for 20 minutes in the morning, and that's going to take care of you for the rest of the day. You need to apply what you're using during your mindfulness exercises throughout the day. If you have a side tracking thought, like I'm just going to go outside and uh, smoke with my friends because I want to find out what they did during their holiday vacation notice that thought as if it were a leaf on the stream too and bring yourself back to the here and now which is the only place action happens bring yourself back to the here and now and follow through on whatever substitute behavior you were going to do to replace that smoking
0: mm-hmm. that's great sometimes i'll work with like um, long distant runners or athletes oh and, wow and that kind of a skill is is it's similar. It's like when you're doing your sport and you have that thought of, I have, you know, I need to stop now, or I need to take a break that actually just bringing your attention back to the experience of your body in this moment can help you just continue, continue on. And it's, it's very similar when we're carrying out behavior, um, behavior change, but at the same time, one of the things I have a hardest time with is getting people to start a meditation practice.
1: Yeah. Right, it's Like I that,
0: I mean, I have people like for months coming in saying, oh, I know I need to do this. I really want to do this. I know it's good for me, but I can't. I tried, the you know, three minutes, but I, so, you know, if mindfulness is the thing that's going to help us with committed action, but then we have to create a committed action to do the mindfulness practice. Right. How do you work with that?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I, I'll tell you, I'll answer that, but I also want to come back to the long distance work that you do, long distance running work that you're doing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, but what I... What I suggest we do for folks who are having difficulty picking up a disciplined mindfulness practice is have compassion and understanding for them because I've written several books about mindfulness Mm -hmm. and I still don't remember to do it every day. I have to admit to it. I mean, shoot, I wrote a book including mindfulness in the chapters and the title has the phrase committed action in it. <laughs> and I, I still, you know, I still yeah. realize that uh, this, this can be an obstacle. Yeah. And what we try to do is see if people can pick up a mindfulness practice throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say that I might not do the sitting in my, you know, meditation room for 30 minutes every day, 365 days a year. But I will say that I probably do something mindfully every day, several mm-hmm. times a day. And that's one of the things that I I don't want it to sound like it has to be a disciplined practice that might get under some people's skin. But what I'm trying to say is if we're trying to invite people who might not be psychologically minded, who might not really have ever read anything from an Eastern philosophical tradition, but they're coming to see you because they're dealing with anxiety or they're dealing with depression. And then we're asking them to take on a mindfulness practice and they're having difficulty with that. There needs to to be some compassion. There needs to be some understanding. But what I like to do is try to make it easier for them. What can you do instead of sitting on a meditation cushion, a fancy meditation cushion that you bought from Pier 1 Imports and sitting in your walk-in closet and listening to a fancy, you know, soundscape, you know, uh, MP3 that's supposed to make you feel like you're on a beach. If you can't do that, because I don't really want you to do that in the first place, What can you do? What can you do mindfully every single day? And when I was doing executive coaching for one particular construction company's senior vice president, he was dealing with a lot of anger issues. He told me as soon as he met me after he read one of my books, he says, I'm not going to do any of this hippie dippy nonsense of meditation stuff. I said, okay, that's perfectly fine. Got to know him a little bit better. But I did ask him, what do you do every day? He says, after a couple of Answers. He says, "I drink coffee every day." So what I'm going to ask you to do is, when you drink coffee every day, can you set your smartphone for a timer for two minutes and exclusively choose to drink that coffee? Just do that. What I want you to do is is notice what it feels like when the coffee mug is in your hands, how the how the teacup handle is is something that you can hold on to and it's not too hot, but underneath on the ceramics, pretty hot. Notice the temperature differential there. Notice the aroma, notice the steam of the coffee, you know, brushing up against your face. You might not have ever noticed that before, but can you just be present with the coffee and go ahead and drink that coffee and notice right here, right now, what it tastes like. Notice the flavor of it and how it feels on your tongue. And then notice if you have a thought, like, oh my gosh, this coffee tastes like garbage. I'm going to fire my secretary. Remembering that this guy has anger management problems. That's why I'm there doing his executive coaching. Notice that you had that judgment. Notice that you had that proclivity towards aggression. And what I want you to do is just notice it. Notice it as if what you just said was background music from a radio you didn't care to put on and listen to. Just, just notice that it's there. Let it go. Bring yourself back to the right here, right now, of drinking this coffee. Mm -hmm. Notice when you put it down on your desk that the blotter that you have on your desk gets a little bit of a coffee ring on it. Go ahead and drink it again. Notice the aroma, notice the taste. And then just take things that you do reliably and make it a mindfulness practice when you do it. And it actually was helpful to the guy. Mm
0: -hmm. And actually is also related to the very original eastern practices because they are that simple if you have studied Thich Nhat Han he talks about washing dishes in that way being able to just get back into the present moment as you're describing and notice our thoughts and then developing that skill set so then when you really need it you're you're starting in a way that's
1: approachable for folks what we're trying to do is while he's drinking the coffee he has an aggressive thought he has a judgmental thought and he practices in a safe calm circumscribed situation noticing thoughts Mm -hmm. but then we have to we have to teach or coach him to say can you apply what you're learning during this exercise to something more ecologically valid something real like when you go out to a work site and somebody does something that irritates you there can you also engage in that noticing your thoughts and your Your aggression and your judgments, can you notice them too and still engage in the committed action of acting like a peaceable and values based leader? I think if we define committed action or commitment as action in the direction of what you care about, even in the presence of obstacles, what you care about is, is going to be the fuel, the the juice that keeps you engaging in those actions. It's hard to commit to things if you don't care about them. So I think that if you really are going to make a commitment, it's a good idea for you to link it to what's a life well lived for you. Are you able to articulate and maybe even author a value statement saying, this is what I want my life to be about. With, without those values that you carry around for yourself, without them there, it's hard to stick to something. Now, it's not impossible. People will stick to a certain new repertoire if there are external rewards for them. But I argue that's not the best way to set yourself up for behavioral change, that there's only external rewards. Because that's what we call compliance based mm-hmm. behavioral change. I like commitment based behavioral change. Can I give you an example?
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: I work uh, at this Mid American Psychological Institute. We've seen well over 3,000 patients for pre bariatric surgery psychological assessments. Some of them get a yellow light. You know, caution, you shouldn't get this surgery you might need to go through maybe eight, 12 weeks of pre-bariatric surgery counseling. And then the surgeon comes back and says, all right, well, if if, if you can do this, you know, maybe for 10 weeks, if he loses 20 pounds during those 10 weeks under your counseling, I'll let him go under the blade. We'll do the surgery. I said, okay. So this one client comes in and he says, I got, I got to lose 20 pounds in 10 weeks under the supervision of a nutritionist and his surgeons. And he, he was, he was able to do it. He was, he was significantly morbidly obese. So losing 20 pounds in 10 weeks wasn't necessarily going to be unhealthy for him. And I said, well, how much is it worth to you to lose two pounds a week? Is it worth 10 bucks to you? He says, yeah. I said, all right, give me a $10 bill. He gives me a $10 bill. He says, is this going to go towards my copay? I said, no, no, hang on a second. I'm just going to take this $10 bill. I'm going to put it in my folder right here. Now, you just got off the scale in my office here, and you're 300 pounds. If next week when you come back, you're 298 or lower, the $10 stays in the folder. But if you come back next week and you're 299, 300 or higher, I'm going to send this $10 bill to the political party. You don't want to get elected next November. So right there, what we're doing is we're using the carrot and stick routine. We might call it contingency management or behavioral contracting. It's a 20th century approach, right? And that stuff usually works. There are external rewards. If he, mm-hmm. gets, if he gets through the entire 10 weeks and he keeps losing two pounds each week, he gets his $10 back, but that's the carrot. The stick is, if you don't lose the weight, well then, you're gonna have to fund a political party you don't necessarily care about. And that's the, that's the stick, that's the mm-hmm. thing that hurts. He might follow through, but let's be honest. What happens? right after that particular session, what's probably going to happen is he's going to go and that day, maybe go get a triple cheeseburger and a large you know, Coca-Cola and really say to himself, well, I only have to lose two pounds. So I'm just going to have my one last hurrah and eat, eat the stuff that I find delicious because I have 167 hours to lose these two pounds. But while he's doing that, then while he is engaged in that kind of indulgence, in that present moment, is he really following through on his values? And that's why we have to ask him, why do you want this surgery in the first place, client? Why do you want it? And if he says, well, I want the surgery because my primary care physician said I should get it. No, no, no. That, that's someone else's Words. Why do you want to lose the weight? He says, oh, because I was reading in Shape Magazine that my BMI needed to be below 25. No, no, no. That's someone else's words. Why do you want this? Because if you follow through on this weight loss program because the Shape Magazine author wrote something or your primary care physician said something about it, you're just engaged in compliance. You're doing what other people tell you. I want to know why do you personally want to lose the weight? Because if it's just the primary care physician and the Shape magazine author, they're not around watching you 24-7. Right.
0: And the, the challenge with the first method of the $10 is that that's not always going to be there. That's not going to be there 10 years down the road when he's struggling again with his weight or making decisions, but the values will be there. And that's it. It makes me think about conversations that I've had with clients about parenting issues. And sometimes we'll just get so frustrated, we start just wanting to pay our kids to do stuff. And so clients will come in saying that they're paying their kids 50 cents to pick up a dirty towel off the floor or a dollar to clean up their room. And I'll ask them, well, do you get paid 50 cents to pick up your wet towels or a dollar to clean up your room? And they'll say no. And I'll say, well, then why do you do it? they say, well, because it just makes me feel better to have a clean space to live in. And I'll say, yeah, well, down the road, no one's going to pay 50 cents or a dollar to your kid when they're in college to pick up their wet towels or clean up their room. But maybe down the road would be a good idea for them to have that intrinsic kind of motivation that's where ACT kind of differs from traditional behavioral analysis is that when you add in the value component, it shifts how you're doing contingency management because now contingency management is about values, not just about sticking, you know, right. um, rewards. Yeah.
1: I agree. I agree with what you're saying. That's why we'd want to ask him why you losing the weight yeah. and uh, why are you motivated to, and don't tell me about the primary care physician in the magazine. Why do you, and if he says something like, cause I, uh, I want to be around for my grandchildren, or you know because i 'm so heavy i 'm not able to go out on r v trips, recreation vehicle trips with my spouse, and i 'm missing out on you know things that are important in my one life on the planet that that kind of values articulation I think that can help with the commitment of what he needs to do in order to lose the weight mm-hmm.
0: absolutely
1: <laughs> you can be around you 're you're, you're around you are your own contingency manager at that point. Exactly. You can say I'm not following through on what I care about for my own health, my own recreation, my own family values. You're watching yourself. But this is why we in addition teach mindfulness in addition to values.
0: How about for you? Can you can you talk about for yourself some maybe give some examples of how you've used some of these strategies to change of behavior either in yourself
1: for me it kind of goes back to something that you brought up a little bit earlier and i, I hate to be redundant and keep the weight as a uh, as a topic of discussion but that's pretty pretty much a hot topic around new year's resolution time yeah. um 2017 i was probably the heaviest i've ever been january 1st and uh i have a history of running marathons yeah. So I was a little bit disappointed in myself having gotten that far out of shape. And I said to myself, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. But I made this important switch to the resolution. I didn't say I'm going to run a marathon this year. I said, I'm going to train appropriately for a marathon. And I wrote out the training uh, plan. I said, if I run a half marathon during the month of May 2018, then I'm going to sign up for a fall marathon. And I made a a, a point to training for that half marathon as diligently as I could. And the thing that I think was helpful to me to train diligently for the half marathon in May 2018 is I really did a values authorship exercise. I said, why do I not want to be this heavy anymore? What's vital and meaningful in my life that could keep me motivated to be more mindful and aware of my health. What's going to get me out of bed, even though it's nice and warm and comfortable at five o'clock in the morning and I'm reclining and I'm, and I'm enjoying, you know, just, just relaxing. That's, that's the current good thing. That's the current reward or reinforcer. What's going to make me forego feeling good in the present moment and Get in my car, I live near Chicago, get in my car and go to the elliptical trainer at my gym. Why why am I going to go do something like that? Why do something difficult when there's an immediate reinforcer here? And I said, because it's immediate reinforcer, if done on a regular basis, is what makes me heavier and heavier and less cardiovascularly fit. There are more important things in my life than just being comfortable in the present moment, like being around for my grandchildren being physically fit enough to not necessarily get other kinds of diseases to be physically fit enough to be able to do things that i care about like play with my kids and travel around the world with my spouse so i'm willing to forego the immediate gratification for the bigger broader more reinforcing things of my values having a life well lived so you get out i started to train for the marathon the right way the half marathon i made it uh when i did the half marathon I signed up for the New York City Marathon, I got in, I ran with a friend of mine, uh, we didn't hit the time that we wanted to, but then in December I found myself in the same place as, a, as another marathon, I just, I, I didn't know this was gonna happen, I was teaching in Honolulu, the Honolulu Marathon was in town, I signed up with it for for set, with 72 hours advance notice, and <laughs> the entire time I was there, I said, if I feel pain, as long as it's not injury pain, I'm just going to accept it mindfully and because of my value of liking to achieve things, I actually ran a personal record, even though I ran the marathon really kind of uh, as a, as a surprise to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I would say uh, given your question about how has, how has committed action helped me, uh, it really helped me change my health uh, I, I'm a totally different person than I was January 1st, 2018, because of my values and because I was committed to doing these exercises.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you, you mentioned accepting pain because, you know, for athletes, it's a very you know, physical pain, and that's part of, I think, what athletes are capable of doing is trans, And same thing with, I think performers with, you know, anxiety is they transform yeah. it into, this is part of the experience and it's, there's nothing wrong with experiencing discomfort. It's just a part of being an athlete. You're gonna experience discomfort and the way yeah. the performer experiences um, a little bit of anxiety before they go on and they find it kind of energizing, but it's how we, um, our relationship to that pain that, that really makes a difference because in other areas where we have emotional pain, accepting it feels like the last thing <laughs> that we want to do. And it's right. so key. It's so key in being able to move forward in the direction of your values.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Especially when you're doing this, um, there's a phrase in the military that, and I'm sorry if this is not a uh, polite language, but uh, you might've heard this before. Uh, embrace the suck. Oh like Yeah. Wearing- the Marines say that so like this is what it's going to take it's not going to be comfortable it might not be fun embrace the suck it sucks but Mm -hmm. this is what you care about in your life see if you can make room for it
0: what about relapses and lapses because that seems like that's part of the process how do you approach that
1: it's a good question. I I think we have to understand that absolutely everyone fails at things. And so I almost don't even like using the word relapse with yeah. some with some situations. Right? Mm-hmm. Life life is a life is is something when you measure like the ups and downs you have to realize it's an ongoing process yeah. and it's not always going to work out the way you want to i mean if you just look at if i change the subject a little bit and you just look at a, a really high performing awesome stock mm-hmm. all growth is sawtooth there's ups and downs even on the way up yeah right i mean if you look at, I don't want to highlight any one particular company, but a big Fortune 500 company that you see a lot of trajectory and growth in this company, it's all sawtooth, up and down, up and down, even on the way up in the trajectory. So you got to realize it's, it's never going to be perfect. I think Michael Jordan said something like, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career, lost almost 300 games, uh, 26 times I've been trusted to take the winning shot. And I failed mm-hmm. I failed at those games those times I didn't I didn't win the game 26 of those times he's Michael Jordan yeah so we have to realize I think have a different perspective on relapse it's it didn't work out today mm-hmm. it didn't work out in this objective and this is my commitment I'm gonna go and engage in actions in the direction of what I care about my values even in the presence of the obstacles And the obstacles, again, are things when we tell ourselves about lack of focus, sidetracking thoughts and stressful emotions. If you relapse, so to speak, if you fail to make the winning shot, you're gonna have sidetracking thoughts. I suck, I should quit. You're gonna have stressful emotions of feeling badly about losing. And you can still move forward in the things that you care about.
0: While I have you here as an expert, I thought I'd take advantage of you a little bit and ask you maybe to help me with an area that I want to make some committed action around in my life. And I'm wondering if you could do a little free coaching here. Sure. Yeah. My new year's, I don't know if it's a resolution, but intention or a vision is that I really want to work more on enjoying my life. And I have, I'm, I'm a busy working mom and involved in a lot of different projects, both in the home, outside of the home, work-related, not work-related. And what I find myself um, at the end of this past year is that I was doing so much and not really living in my life, enjoying it, the goodness of it. I, I thought it would be a good topic to bring to you because it's not, it doesn't have a clear behavioral component, but I know that you'll help me tease that out a little bit.
1: Okay. all right i guess yeah that's it's an interesting question i'm glad you brought it up it's uh somewhat of a challenge and the first thing i'm thinking of here is um you want to enjoy life more yeah and that to to a guy who is a board certified behavior analyst and you know a, a nerdy kind of behavioral scientist that is amorphic. It's it's non-specific. Right. How am I going to know? How are you going to know that you're enjoying your life more? So so my my first question, and it, it's 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 kind of two questions in one. My but my first question is: Do you know what enjoying your life looks like? Like, are we exploring what enjoyment would be for you? Or do you know what you enjoy, and you're just figuring out how to make time in your life for more of it? So that that, that those yeah, are yeah. different questions. Do I you actually know?
0: think it's it's actually a third. It's actually a third thing. It's okay. it's I know what enjoyment feels like, and what's happening is that I'm in something that is enjoyable. So I'm I'm where I just planted my garden this weekend. Okay. I'm planting my garden but I'm not enjoying planting my garden because I'm turning it into a task. I got to get the winter garden in, <laughs> you know, um, or I'm with my, with my children, but I'm not enjoying being with my children because I'm turning it into a task. So I think that's more, it's, it's not that I actually need to make more time to enjoy like go on more vacations, but it's more, it's it kind of may go back to mindfulness of appreciating and being in what's, what's present and really savoring really savoring my life because I know it's limited you know
1: yeah I do think I appreciate you sharing that and I do think your uh, brief mention of mindfulness would be a crucial component to this because you know you you know what you like you you like the gardening
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you've made time for it so my first two questions are, you know what you like and, and, and do you need to make time for it? You have it, but it's when the moment is there, you might not be enjoying it as much. Exactly. And that is where I would go into the area of how there's an internal obstacle. Yeah. And there's probably some kind of expectation. And my old mentor, Albert Ellis, who developed CBT used to say, expectations are premeditated disappointments oh gosh <laughs> and so i wonder what kind of thing you were expecting to go on while you were doing the gardening like was it supposed to be joyous were you going to commune with nature were you just gonna you know be in the flow state um because when you turned it into a task it sounds like there were certain types of expectations that needed to be done right you had to hit certain types of objectives and you know what i'm going to say is is that's part of the human condition Mm -hmm. that's because you're a bright person who has uh an ability to use language to make comparisons to good or bad or you know perfect or imperfect or this is right this is wrong that's just language that's getting in the way of you following through on just whatever your value is, creating, communing with nature. So it, it is going to call on mindfulness to notice that you're having these thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I don't know if it'll make you enjoy it more because that's another thing. It's not just the gardening that you may or may not be doing in the right way, but am I enjoying it the right way? Yeah, and, and yeah. like are you also judging the fact that you may or may not be enjoying things and and right there it sullies the experience yeah and we're not going to get rid of that there's there's not you know yes yes for coaching for something like that we're not going to get rid of that it's how are you going to relate to that mm-hmm. this is a heavy self disclosure but i've got a 18 and a 19 year old uh, you know, they're adults there. I'm going to be an empty nester in about eight months. And, uh, my spouse and I went out to do a tradition we've done for 10 years. We went to the Walnut Room in Chicago, fancy, you know, place, it's all Christmas stuff. And even though it's after Christmas, we wanted to go there and do what we typically did. It was so magical back in the day, the, you know, forest, uh, Angel comes around and you know sprinkles glitter on my daughter's head and the food's amazing and you know my son's like you know eyes are bright and just you know reflecting the Christmas tree glow and I loved this for years. They're 18 and they're 19 years old. They're not exactly staring at the big, you know, <laughs> yeah. tree. And my daughter doesn't want sprinkled glitter on her head at nineteen years old. She's a sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. The menu had changed, now it's a buffet. Um, And I, you know, I just remember saying, I remember saying, this isn't how I want it to be. This is a traditional thing that really warmed my heart. It gave me that quote unquote Christmas spirit that we get sucked into, or at least not we, everybody, but I do. And a lot of people from my subculture kind of like, you want this perfect Christmas experience. And I remember comparing it to the past and comparing it to the ideal last night and going, This is not what I wanted to pay for. This is not what I wanted to come to downtown Chicago for. And luckily, and I'm not self-aggrandizing, I'm not patting myself on the back. Luckily, after 20 years of doing meditation and and act, I said, and this is now. This Mm -hmm. is my life right now. And I can't compare it to the past. And I can engage in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's enjoyment, but I engage and said, this is is my life now. Because I value my children, I value experiences. I'm just going to be present with the fact that this is different now. And Mm -hmm. I can say that we could argue that might be what enjoyment is.
0: Yes. Well, for me, absolutely. Enjoyment is engaging. And I think in combination with gratitude for the present.
1: Right. You you know, just gratitude
0: gratitude for having my hands in soil in December. Yeah. (laughs)
1: You right. know, <laughs> That's awesome. yeah. Very many people point. can't
0: plant <laughs> winter gardens. So, yeah. but, yeah. um, but I think, I think you are, I think it's important the expectation and the comparison and those are, are both big derailers for me. Like right. big ones. Yeah. those ones are, they are hooks that, um, pull me out many, many times. So that was really helpful to kind of look at how that may be playing a role in this, um, in this, goal for myself of enjoying life more that maybe I need to look at my expectations and and how my mind is comparing.
1: And that might be, and it's not because if if you have that, it's because you're human. It's because you use language. There's nothing broken. This is just life on life's terms. Mm -hmm. And we, 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 I think we would benefit from a mindful practice to help us deal with this, this, this life that we live.
0: Right. And I've also been reinforced for it. You know, I think also looking at how our, how we, some of the patterning we're in is because the culture, or our families, or schools we've been in have they absolutely re- reinforce you having high expectations and comparing yourself to others. That's how you get right. your PhD. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's hard to unlearn that, but I can, um, I can notice it. I can notice yeah. where it's not working for me. Yeah. That's well, good. Well, thank you so much for everything that you shared. It was really helpful. And for folks that want to learn more about, especially therapists that want to learn more about using committed action, your book, Committed Action in Practice, that you co-wrote with Patricia Bach and Sonia Batten is out and available uh and we'll put a link to that on our website we'll also put a link to you and if you have any workshops coming up or other trainings or people want to work with you directly so that um they can find you is there any, anything else you want to share about um upcoming I, events yeah
1: yeah i appreciate that um you are willing to uh give people my contact information and links and stuff like that. Um, But it's very simple. I'm just uh, drdjmoran.com. You can find out a lot about my calendars ongoing, even if you're listening to this in the middle of the summer uh, as a recording. Um, uh, Just drdjmoran.com and my training calendars there. And uh, that's my Twitter handle and my Facebook. Um, And if we're talking about, you know, uh, anything, types of events coming up. Um, The ACBS, Association of Contextual Behavioral Sciences, is having an awesome world conference in June 2019 in Dublin. I highly recommend you go there. It's I think the week of the 25th through the 29th or something like that. Um, So I definitely hope uh, folks who are listening to this will come to that conference.
0: Yes, they're really fun, really inspiring. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a delight to have you on and wishing you a wonderful 2019.
1: Likewise to you, Diane. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And stay committed.
0: Thank you for listening to
2: Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's
0: www.offtheclockpsych.com.